Jonathan Foster, and welcome to another episode of Author Conversations. And this week we focus in on the fascinating history of the Revolutionary War in the Adirondack. Much of New York during the Revolutionary Era was frontier wilderness, sparsely populated and barely divided. Although the only major campaign in the region would end at the Battle of Saratoga, factional raiding parties traversed the mountains and valleys of the Adirondacks throughout the war. Sir Christopher Carlton led groups of Loyalists, Hessians, and Iroquois in successful attacks along Lake Champlain, capturing forts and striking fear in local villages. Mohawk War Chief Joseph Brandt led a motley band of irregulars known as Brandt's Volunteers in chaotic raids against Patriot targets. Marauding brothers Edward and Ebenezer Jessup brought suffering to the very lands that they had purchased years before in Kingsbury, Queensbury, and Fort Edward. Author Marie Danielle Arnett Williams covers the history of the Adirondacks during the Revolutionary War. Marie Danielle Arnett Williams is an independent historian living in upstate New York. She received her Bachelor's of Arts degree in Social Studies, Adolescent Education from the College of St. Rose in Albany, New York in 2014 and received her Master's of Arts degree in American History from Southern New Hampshire University in Manchester, New Hampshire in 2018. She has been writing about American history since 2011 on her blog titled The Half Pine Historian Blog and has contributed to articles to the Adirondack Almanac and the New York History Blog. Marie, thanks for joining me. Marie, what got you interested first in history and then more specifically in the Revolutionary War? So when I was in fourth grade, this would be about the year 2000, I had a teacher who was very passionate about history and teaching us about the past. She would take us for walks around the town near the school, uh, showing us different sites in the area, like um, the town museum, the historical association. There was a, the old one-room schoolhouse that was around before uh, where I went to school was built. Um, and in that same year, we started learning about the French and Indian War because the area where I grew up in upstate New York did play a role in the French and Indian War. Um, we went to Fort William Henry in Lake George that year. And even though at the time I didn't know how important my area was, I was still really interested in learning more. So what I think played a huge role in my interest in history, besides having a teacher who was very passionate about it, was just the area where I grew up. I'm blessed to be from a very historically rich area. I grew up in a small town near Lake George in the Southern Adirondack Mountain region in upstate New York. And within a 50 mile radius of the town where I currently live, there are numerous historical sites such as Fort William Henry, Fort Ticonderoga, Mount Defiance, Fort Edward, Fort Anne, Rogers Rock, Rogers Island, Cooper's Cave, Saratoga Battlefield, Hudson Crossing Park, the Schuyler House, and so many more places. So I feel like it was only natural for me to want to know more about the area where I grew up and more about my home state. Very good. And, you know, and there's a lot of places where there's history people don't know about, but you and I are both really lucky to live in places with such rich history. But even though we do that, there's almost an unknown history um, I'm mm-hmm. sure you have a lot of roadside markers just like we have around here that tells a story too. And before we started yep. recording, we kind of talked about some similarities between our two areas. There's a number of people who, though going back to the re- specifically Revolutionary War timeline, a number of people who do believe that colonists as a whole, I'm sure you've come across um, people who believe this too, were patriots, or at least a majority were patriots. 
But mm-hmm. the way you described it early in the book, the feelings of those in New York, and it reminded me of those here in South Carolina, too, at the time of the Revolution, you had those who were patriots, and you also had those who were loyalists, but you also had a number who were just trying to live. Who yep. were these people and who didn't have a foot in either camp initially? So the area where I grew, where I grew up is a lot of the area where I talk about in my book. It was like wilderness frontier land. There wasn't like big civilizations. There still aren't big civilizations where I'm from. My hometown was only 700 people. But um, so a lot of the people felt, at least in upstate New York, felt that they were pretty far removed from what was going on in other parts of the state. Like New York City was occupied by the British, but the British occupation in New York City had nothing to do with what was going on up here. So the people in upstate New York felt that they were far, they were pretty far removed from what was really going on. Mm -hmm. They just kept to themselves and... There wasn't much infighting. They were more concerned with Indian raids that were going on prior to the start of the revolution and just trying to maintain their lives. Yeah, and you know, that's a good, it kind of leads me into a, a different question. Can you kind of let everybody know what's the difference between a raid compared to a skirmish or a battle? Um, so... For me, what I consider a raid is uh, fairly fairly unorganized. Like the British raids that I describe in my book were organized, but not to the extent as like these battles were. So a battle and a skirmish is similar in that you would have both sides lined up in that old style of fighting that they used in this era. But... Um, a raid would be more like guerrilla warfare style. Yeah, kind of like a quick hit and out. Right. Yeah. Now, going back just a second, though, to those people who didn't really have a foot in either camp, will you tell us about Jane McRae and how that kind of changes it? Yeah, so Jane McRae was a woman in Fort Edward, well, what is now the town of Fort Edward. She was engaged to a British officer officer in Fort, who was stationed at Fort Ticonderoga. And the legend has it that she was on her way to the fort to get married. And that um, as she was on her way, she was captured and killed by some Native Americans who were serving under General Burgoyne at the time. And even though she was a loyalist and had loyalist leanings, her death was used as a sort of patriot propaganda in that her death was used to show, like, look how merciless the British are and their native allies are. They don't care what side you're on. They're going to kill you. And that propaganda was used to gain uh, more men to join the fight for uh, the patriot side. Yeah, and you do talk about, um, get, we'll look at a little bit of a bigger battle real quick, and you talk about the Battle of Saratoga, uh, which was the mm-hmm. last you know major battle in the New York campaign, and we won't, I want to ask you to give us a blow-by-blow. Blow. There's plenty of reading for that out there, but you do go into a bit of detail about it in the book, um, but we don't go to accounts of those actions here. But what I will ask is for you to explain how Saratoga set the stage for raids that will take place 
and why the raids would take place after the Battle of Saratoga. Sure. So the Saratoga campaign in New York was supposed to be a three-pronged attack. It was supposed to be um, two routes coming, moving in from Canada, Burgoyne being the most famous of the two routes. Um, and then General Clinton moving up from New York City to send relief to um, Burgoyne and Barrymore St. Ledger, who was the second uh, British commander coming from a Canadian route. Um, Clinton never made it to Saratoga. So what, ha so what happened was um, the Americans won the field. Um, they, the Americans at the time had the manpower and the weaponry to be able to take the British at the two battles of Saratoga. And because this British plan lost and they didn't think that this plan would lose, um, they really didn't know what to do afterwards because the entire point of the Saratoga campaign was to capture the Hudson River mm -hmm. and use that to sever the colonies. Um, New York at the time was considered a middle colony. So if you could sever New York, then you could sever the rest of the colonies from each other. They couldn't get uh, money, manpower, or supplies, or anything they needed to the rest of the colonies if New York itself was cut off. So because New York was so vital, the British didn't completely want to give it up. So after the Battle of Saratoga, um, Burgoyne took his army, what was left of it, that wasn't captured, um, and they wintered in Canada, and they came back to New York with a what they thought was a better plan to still attempt to, to not necessarily capture New York, but weaken it. So... The, so the Continental Army wouldn't have the manpower and supplies they needed. Wow, yeah, very, you know, that, the the whole battles of Saratoga and the way the British were not able to uh, basically complete their attack, their three-pronged attack, uh, it was really, you know, something that's always interested me uh, with studying. And then, of course, that leads to the Southern Campaign uh, that we see down here. It's just a very interesting time in the Revolutionary War. And, uh, you know, of course, it leads to the study of, you know, Arnold and the questions about Benedict Arnold at New mm -hmm. York. So it's just a, a very interesting time period uh, during uh, the American Revolution, too. Um, but let's get back to the raiders. Sorry, I took us down a little rabbit hole or chasing a rabbit there. Uh, who are these raiders? Are they from England? Are they are they are they settlers of European descent? Are they natives? Are they a mixture? Who are these raiders? So the raiders are a mixture, and uh, like I said, in 1778, after the Battle of Saratoga, the British returned to the wilderness frontier area of New York. And they utilized the area's loyalist population, Iroquois warriors, and uh, British soldiers themselves who were born and raised in England and then came over here in the fighting. So there was a mixture of different people fighting in these raids. And what is the Patriot response? Um, the Patriot response was to fight off the raiders. The in New York, because it was a frontier area, the local populations were used to Indian raids, but they weren't quite used to the 
to these raids. They weren't used to how organized these raids were as opposed to like a one and done raid from like the Mohawks, for example. Because now they had they were fighting against British regulars and loyalist soldiers who were trained for fighting. And when these raiders come in, what are they targeting? Who are they targeting? Because there are there's going to be collateral damage in some of these raids. And how does that oh, affect the view of the population towards either side? So the point of these raids weren't to target a particular group. These raids were to target everyone. And that's what made them so brutal is because it seemed like there, there was no particular target for these raids. Everyone was being attacked regardless of what side they were on. And I do talk about Joseph Brandt in the book, and he's, mm -hmm. he's particularly notorious for this. Um, he was given the nickname Monster Brandt because of just how uh just how much destruction he brought about new york and the northern pennsylvania borderlands um so during these raids the british and the loyalists and the native populations who were involved used the scorched earth policy so um and Brant's raids in particular were known as the burning of the valleys because they would just go through and destroy everything in their paths to try to weaken New York. So the colonists couldn't gather up supplies or manpower or anything that they needed to get to the Continental Army. Yeah, it is interesting you brought Brant up because he also sticks in my mind for his life after the raids too. And because he, you know, he... he he fights for his people really, you know, mm -hmm. after, uh, the rights. And if anybody's watched, you know, of course we know him from history, but p people who, you know, maybe the casual historian or maybe only know this person from a TV show, he actually has, gets land from John Simcoe, um, yeah. which people may know from turn. So he yeah. actually has a very interesting life that continues on past the revolutionary war also. Um, yes. Talk and about one the of and one of the reasons why Brandt sided with the British was, well, one, his sister was married to Sir William Johnson, who was the head of Indian Affairs at the time. And uh, Sir William Johnson and the Mohawks would uh, sell land to the British. And because of the strong relationship that the Mohawks had with the British already, Brandt decided that for his people, it would be better to side with them because in the end, the British were more likely to maintain the treaties that they already had with the Mohawks and with the Iroquois in general than if they had sided with the Patriots and tried to get freedom from the British. Yeah. I so but, so Brandt was trying to do what was best for his people. Yeah, and you had to choose your. I mean, this was when you made a decision on which side to come down for. You were, you were making a really huge decision, um, mm -hmm. and you could lose a lot. Not only in the terms of you know Brand, um, but also I think about the Jessup brothers too. Mm -hmm. They have a, uh, I think, an interesting story. Can you talk about them a little bit? Yeah. So. The Jessups I learned about while I was working on my master's degree, and 
which is kind of embarrassing that I grew up in one of the towns that from the land that they purchased and I had never knew that these people even existed. Um, so the Jessup brothers were land barons in the Adirondacks and they purchased what would become most of Warren County, New York, which is the county that I still have close ties to. I still have family who live in that county, but now I live in Saratoga County. Um, so they purchased land that would become the towns of Hadley, Lake Luzerne, Corinth, Athol, Thurman, Stony Creek, Chestertown, Warrensburg, and Johnstown. And even before war broke out in New York, um, they had very strong ties to the British. They purchased their land from Sir William Johnson and the Mohawks. So it was no surprise that they would end up siding with the British because that's how they got their land to begin with. Hmm. Um, and they were loggers. And so they were making money off the land that they had. And once the war broke out in New York, a lot of the people who worked for them rebelled against them and were destroying the mills that the Jessops had set up. So the Jessops decided that rather than try to rebuild the mills and deal with life that they decided to join the British military. And both Jessops, Edward and Ebenezer, ended up fighting at the Battle of Saratoga. And they would both lead raids in upstate New York. In 1781, they led raids against Queensbury, Kingsbury, Glens Falls, Fort Edward, and Fort Anne. Wow. You know, and, sorry, go ahead. And at the end of the war, they were, they were among a large group of loyalists who did not get their land back. They both ended up going to Upper Canada, which would be um, the Quebec region and would settle towns along the river there yeah that's what i was gonna i was gonna bring up because you have a whole chapter of loyalists being dispossessed of their land it happened in new york it happened here in south carolina um i i was you know just i was gonna bring that whole point up next i have it here in my notes and i'm but i was wondering because you brought up you know how you didn't know about them growing up in that area I was wondering if that was part of the reason why you wouldn't know about them, because they were dispossessed of their land. I think so. I also think that um, being American, we have a very American centralized view of history. If we're not if we're not the victors, we tend to not know about a lot of things. We tend to not put it in our history. So I think there was a lot of British erasure in our history. And that's part of why I wanted to write this book about the British side, because we just don't know about it. It's not something that's taught. It's something that we might come across randomly, like looking at an old document or something, but otherwise like most people don't know about this. And I wanted to make sure that everyone's story gets told. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, it's not, when you're telling the British side too, it's not exactly like it's all flattering either to the British side because there's some pretty <laughs> brutal stories too uh, on mm -hmm. the British side, of course. And we also know from the American Revolution side, those that talk about the American victories, they're not always the most uh, uh, flattering either. The Americans can be, because we also know there were paybacks for uh, Tarleton's quarter um, that happened here in South Carolina. Uh, so, I mean, war is brutal. 
uh, work can mm-hmm. be brutal. But yeah, it was a very interesting read. It's it's something that had not been done before uh, in this region. That's why I was very excited to read it. I thought you did a really great job. And in, in, in the introduction, you actually talk about one reason why you wanted to write about it from this point of view is because you had an ancestor who fought for the British side uh, yep. in this he, war. He fought off the Battle of Saratoga. That's very cool. So obviously we're getting along because all of my ancestors who fought in the Revolutionary War fell on the Patriot side. You have an ancestor <laughs> who fought for the British side, so we're we're all good now. <laughs> uh, so and we're all American. You're an American. I'm an American. So we're all getting along great. But we have shared this love of history and we share the love of knowing these stories from both sides. And you did an awesome job with this book. And I'm Thank excited you. that people are going to get to read it. And if you're a student of the American Revolution and you wrote it from the local standpoint, but all over the United States, um, if you enjoy learning about the American Revolution, you got to get this book and because it helps tell the whole story of the historic fabric of the revolution. So, Murray, thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. Murray, thanks again for being on, and thank you, the audience, for listening. The Revolutionary War in the Adirondacks will be available wherever local books are sold beginning August 17th, 2020, and is available now for pre-order at ArcadiaPublishing.com. I want to thank Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project for the show's theme song. You can reach them on Facebook by searching for Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project, and you can do the same thing on Instagram. If you have questions or future episode ideas, you can reach me by email at ArcadiaAuthorConversations at gmail.com. That again is ArcadiaAuthorConversations at gmail.com. I will talk with you again soon.